This is made for you by All Souls, a church in Seattle, Washington, seeking to be a community not just for ourselves, but a vibrant expression of who God is, gracious, present, hospitable. Take a moment now to come as you are and bring your attention to God. Okay, so uh, this time of year, Spotify releases uh, your personalized data, right? They call it a wrap about what you listened to this year. Did anybody receive this? Anybody Spotify subscriber? Okay, quite a few of you. Okay. You may have seen people sharing this uh, on social media, their top five favorite artists or their top five songs from the year. And it's a moment of surprise for some of us, is it not? Your guilty pleasure in the Jonas Brothers, or Nickelback, or maybe it was Creed, I don't know what your guilty pleasure is, <laughs> may, may be revealed as more habitual than you might have thought, right? Um, our stated music taste, what we tell people we love to listen to, may not be what we actually listen to, right? This is what the rap reveals about us. In my case, it was the band Heim um, that surprised me, a band I really enjoy, Three Sisters, uh, but they, uh, you know, wouldn't have made my top five if I were just telling you what I listened to. But there they were, number three in my Spotify rap. So maybe you had some surprises this year. A Spotify year-end list can help tell us what we're actually paying attention to, right? What we are listening for, what we are actually looking to in our days for, you know, a pick-me-up or some comfort music, or for meaning, or just to get by that day. The season of Advent offers us a similar diagnostic. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And this season, as our reading from Mark 13 today sets us up so well, asks us to imagine the moment of Jesus's arrival. Now, here comes the diagnostic. When Jesus arrives where do we find ourselves? When God turns on the lights in the room, what are we found to be doing? Are we watching for God and his kingdom? Do we find ourselves among those who are rejoicing at this just and beautiful king? Or do we shrink back and don't recognize God as that? Have we fallen asleep on the watch? Have we given up the hope of Jesus' arrival and taken to adaptive survival techniques that assume he isn't coming. Maybe we've stopped trying to be different from the evil we see in the world and think, i got to play this game if I want to survive. Have we taken things into our own hands now? Have we decided to prepare for another kingdom, our own? Whatever we might say we do, or would do. Advent, like a Spotify rap, has a way of offering to us the data of what we are actually investing in, what we are actually watching out for, what we are actually looking to for that pick-me-up, for comfort, for meaning. In the face of our troubles, in the face of an obscure future, in the face of the darkness that marks this time of year quite poetically, actually, Because, friends, in the face of our world's darkness, have we given up on ever seeing Jesus face to face? How are you 
How am I handling the uncertainty in our lives right now? The uncertainty of darkness, when we can't see clearly the way this world is going, the way our own lives are going. When we wonder, will interest rates really ever go down? When we wonder, will prices ever go down, especially house prices? Will there really be a war in the South China Sea also? Will there be a political nightmare in the next election? Watch Jesus Christ out to us in Mark chapter 13. In the obscurity, in the darkness of uncertainty, watch. I want to explore with you what this means for us from Mark chapter 13 today as a way to feel grounded when everything else feels up in the air, as a way to feel home even in the midst of discomforting insecurity and uncertainty. Jesus invites us to watch for the goal of history, and Jesus invites us to watch for the good in history. Two things I want to draw your attention to here in Mark 13. First, the goal of history, and second, the good in history. So first, the goal of history. Look with me again at chapter 13, verse 26. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This is a reference to um, the prophet Daniel in chapter 7 that describes God coming to end the evil that is in the world and establish his kingdom. And this arrival of Jesus will be very different than the last arrival of Jesus that we know about when he came as a small child to a refugee mother in the manger of a backwater village named Bethlehem. This arrival of Jesus, described in Daniel 7, this one that's described here in Mark chapter 13, this arrival of Jesus will not be by candlelight, but by floodlight. This is like a CNN live broadcast type situation that's being described here. Unmissable, unmistakable, real, powerful, total, revealing that God is the goal of history. Jesus is telling us here that history is heading toward God. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. was referring to when he said, the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends toward justice. God is the just king establishing life together in the new heaven and the new earth. Y'all, this is what makes Christianity more than a private, personal, hot water bottle religion, okay? But a public good worth celebrating. The newness of heaven and earth being made one together, held together by Jesus himself. The goal of history. History has a goal. (laughs) We shouldn't be alarmed then when the world feels and looks like it's falling apart since plagues and wars have happened for millennia, because there's another reality that lies beyond history, a new heaven and a new earth. Our history is not a closed system. We've never been taught in Scripture to believe that history is some treadmill or something going around in a cycle. History rhymes, not repeats, right, as Mark Twain puts it. History actually, though, has a goal, and that goal is God. Society will be redeemed and recreated by God. What we're involved in here on earth is of eternal worth and consequence. And Jesus seems to be saying, keep watch. History has a goal. Don't be mistaken about that. Earth as it is now is not forever, friends. And so we need not despair of the temporary outcomes of the pain and suffering around us as much as it may grieve us. When we look back at history, there's not much to hope in, 
if we're basing our hope on human efforts. But if God is the goal of history, and God is holding the past and the present and the future together in his promises, then there is hope. As the prophet Isaiah announced, that swords will be turned into shovels, spears will be made into tools that grow fruit. No more will nation fight nation. We ain't going to study war no more, as the spiritual puts it. But peace on earth won't come through war. Neither will it come ultimately through diplomacy. There will be no lasting peace, is what Jesus is saying here, without himself, the Prince of Peace. And that's as true of the whole of human history as it is the very small and intricate territory of our human hearts. Friends, the direction, the resolution of history has a goal, and his name is Jesus. This is not an impersonal goal to be manipulated as we wish. This is a person who has come to make his home with us, and he won't have us living in squalor. It will be the most joyful of homes, the very household of love. That is yours and mine already, but also not yet. So we wait, and as we do, we watch for the goal of history for Jesus Christ. But look, there's a lot of ways we as people take our eye off the ball here. And to pick on Christians for a minute, let's, you know, suppose for a second there's these even supposedly Christian ways of missing the mark here or misunderstanding what Jesus is talking about. And I think the story of dispensationalism is a modern warning in our recent American history. Dispensationalism, if you've heard of that word, has anybody heard of that word before? Maybe a few of us um, who've been around church maybe a bit longer. Um, dispensationalism, it arose in the 1800s as a way to understand the Bible and read onto history like the stages or dispensations of God's saving work. And there's some biblical truth to it all, of course. Like we are invited to live awake and attentive and to watch and to make sense of history in light of Scripture. But eventually... Dispensationalism, especially in America, especially in light of the hardship the world faced during world wars, began to offer a sort of like false control, a false safety. Preachers and teachers began to say they knew when the end was coming, right? People would be left behind if they weren't ready. This, of course, doesn't square with Jesus' teaching here in Mark chapter 13, that we won't know the time or hour. But dispensationalism in America became a Christianized sort of arrogance, really, that many of us resort to when we're under stress. We want to make the goal of history, the resolution of history, come on our own desired timelines, do we not? We try and find ways to control outcomes and come up with plans to make things right, in turn, missing the opportunity to grow in our relationship with God to grow in maturity with Christ, who is the very goal of history. When we face the dark nights of our lives, when we face the seasons of short days and long nights, Jesus invites us to watch for where history is going, namely to him. We do not have to resort to fixating, right, on a false, clearly calculated future, <laughs> We do not have to resort to fixating on the present, only to ignore the past. We do not have to resort to putting our hope in the past and a supposed golden age gone by that we must recover. We have someone in Jesus who was there at the beginning. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. 
We have someone in Jesus who entered into our present reality as one of us. The word became flesh and made his home among us. We have someone in Jesus who is our future, the one with whom history resolves. Jesus' call to watch invites us to inhabit time with maturity. A maturity that comes from relationship with him as we regard our past and our present and our future. David White, uh, you know, the oft quoted by me, apologies, uh, local Whidbey Island poet, says this about maturity. He has this word study on maturity. And are you surprised, I wonder, that his understanding of maturity has so much to do with our orientation to time? Maturity, he writes, is the ability to live fully and equally in multiple contexts, most especially the ability, despite our grief and loss, to courageously inhabit the past, the present, and the future all at once. The wisdom that comes from maturity, he goes on, is recognized through not choosing to dwell only in the past, or only in the present, or only in the future. Immaturity, he continues warning us, always beckons, offering a false haven, (laughs) a safety, a hiding place, and disappearance in the past, a false isolation in the present, or an unattainable, sure prediction in the future. I wonder, do you tend to be a person whose maturity is stunted because you tend to live primarily in the past? Whether that is in a golden age of the good old days, or in a terrible experience of pain that continues to hold power over you, and you continue to give power to it. Watch, says Jesus. How might you begin to grow in maturity as you embrace the goal of history, the resolution of history, including your own personal history, is in a loving relationship with God and Jesus Christ that he is inviting you into right now. Unflinching love that does not back down from powerful experiences in your past, but remakes them by the very grace that will remake all of creation. Maybe you're someone who deliberately tries to ignore the past. You live in no when, a phrase I got from James K. Smith. I think that's an amazing little phrase. The timeless present, not heading anywhere, not too tied to the past or any future. No one is the equivalent of nowhere, okay, when you're talking about time. Do you tend to not think about how you have been shaped? Do you tend to presume you are self-made? Do you hide in the present? even as the past catches up with you and the future threatens at night in your dreams. Watch, says Jesus. What meaning could be introduced into your rudderless present? What if the whole of history is heading home to a familiar, loving relationship with God and Jesus Christ? Or maybe you're someone who lives for the future, always pushing forward, tirelessly exhausted, frenetically anxious. Watch, says Jesus. What peace can be introduced into your life if the goal of history is an arrival to relationship? The embrace of God the Father, the friendship of Jesus Christ, powerfully made real here and now in our own hearts by the Holy Spirit's taking up residence there, making his home with us. David White again. 
Maturity asks us to be in conversation with our inherited story, our past, and to be present enough in the here and now to appreciate the story about to occur. Past, present, and future held together by Jesus in the present. Watch, says Jesus, inviting us into the story that is about to occur here in the present that redeems and makes meaningful our past. So, friends, how do we make this practical? Watch, says Jesus. But, like, watch, right? You know the thing, like, you sometimes wear on your wrist (laughs) and that helps you keep time, whether it's an Apple watch or your Casio calculator watch, that's my personal favorite, a fancy Rolex watch, perhaps, or a standard-issue Timex watch, right? The name watch originally comes from this word that means to observe attentively, to stay awake. A watch, as it is appropriately named, is then a tool to help us inhabit time, to help us stay attentive, to stay awake to our past and the present as we stay observant of the future. We have on our wrists a little Advent reminder, a wearable reminder to stay awake, to watch for history in its past and present is going somewhere, personally led by God, the very goal of history. The one who holds our past, present, and future, Jesus, redeeming the time with his steadfast, timeless love. Watch for the goal of history every time you look at your watch this Advent season. Secondly, watch for the good in history. Watch for the good in history. Jesus was like magnetically attractive to people who were, you might say, in the dark. People not invited by the elites of the day. People who were not welcomed back to their childhood homes. Prostitutes, leopards, the the diseased, the poor who had burdened all their bridges and had no other relations interested in helping them anymore. In such dark places, Jesus seems to go and be teaching us what it means to watch for the good. I find it ironic that, like, looking at the bad... Not hiding from it, but looking into like the bad situations in life, the soup kitchens, the homeless shelters, the refugee camps, that we would be, it seems to me, as Jesus is showing us, in a prime time front row seat to discover the good. Perhaps it's in the darkness that we see the most powerful, palpable signs of light. The editor of Seattle Pacific University's um, Image Journal, a guy named James K. Smith, um, who gave me that phrase of no when, recently wrote this. On a crisp recent night, I was stunned by the brilliance of the stars, even here in the city, twinkling with that crackle and gleam of winter dark. The sky was awash with lights, a glint and childlike, I realized, as if for the first time, that the stars were always there but we can only see them them in the dark. The sky was awash with lights, and I realized, childlike, as if for the first time, that the stars are always there, but we can only seem to see them in the dark. What I think Jesus is always inviting us into is to come with him and discover his knack, learn from his eye for the good in the midst of the worst situations. I think Jesus is so genuinely attractive to so many people, hurting people, because he is deeply in touch with the goodness of life. And in his time on earth, he showed us what it looks like to have eyes to see it 
to be watching out for it in even the hardest situations. The confidence of Jesus, that goodness is findable and enjoyable, even in the hardest situations, is what will allow us to stay alert, to keep watch, to maintain an excitement not only for what is, but what is to come when all things are made new. Maybe Advent this year is an invitation to seeing, a different way of seeing, an awareing of how God happens, how God's kingdom happens in the midst of our present and heralds our future. How God has long been at work on the watch for the good in our lives, in the worst moments, and invites us to discover that he is here too now in the present. How might we enjoy the gift of recognition, the the breaking of Emmaus bread moment where God is like a parent before us, sitting there the whole time? Watch for the good. Watch for the goal we are, by God's promise, surely moving toward as God makes his home with us and transforms our very lives into the most loving household we have ever known and always longed for. Watch for this, Jesus invites. Watch the blackberries, too, in summer, redeeming urban wastelands and making fruit that doesn't have any of the toxins in it. Watch a man with a broken history with the church, helping the church in West Seattle become better neighbors to the unhoused. Watch the way you are maturing, forgiving, growing, not in spite of, but through the redeeming grace of God at work in your past, attending to you in the present to make you a future. Jesus opens our eyes to a whole world of grace and commands us to pay attention. That means we don't go into the world each day desperately trying to hold on to things or people in either our past or present or future, panicked at everything that might weaken our grasp on those things or people. We open our lives by God's grace in praise for the Christ who is with us, who makes his home with us, anticipating the time when we'll see him coming in the clouds in all his power and glory to make the whole of creation the very household of love. In the meantime, he says, watch. Watch for what God is doing. Watch for what God will do. Watch as he becomes the goal of history, even in the here and now. Watch for the goodness in the world around us. And friends, as we do, may we discover the glory of God and the joy of our hearts. And that we would be a people who bring that goodness into the world around us and the city we love. May it be so. Amen. Amen.